This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now it is one year since the novel coronavirus emerged in Wuhan, China to spread globally and kill well over 1.6 million so far. Wuhan in Hubei province actually bore the brunt in China, accounting for the bulk of its officially reported deaths, which today are approaching around 5,000. Straits Times correspondent Elizabeth Law was very recently in Wuhan and is joining me today to share what she found. Liz, thank you very much for making time to join us today. How are you? Hi, Nola. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Right. So, thank you. So, Liz, we've been seeing pictures and footage of life returning almost to normal, at least on the surface. And there's even this huge exhibition, I believe, on how China managed to deal with the coronavirus. Tell us a little bit more about what it is like in Wuhan now. Right. So this is my third trip to Wuhan. Um, the first was, of course, at the very start of the outbreak. And then after that, when uh, the city was lifting its lockdown. And of course, now this is really to get a sense of what uh, Wuhan is like now. Life is pretty much back to normal. People are back on the streets. They are going to shopping malls. They are dining. They're dining out. And uh, for, for many people, even masks have almost become optional, especially outdoors. Uh, they they almost don't wear masks anymore. Of course, uh, when you go indoor, masks are still mandatory. Uh, in a way, you see, it's it's a city that you never, looking at it from the surface, you never would have imagined the sort of trauma that it has gone through over uh, those two months or so earlier this year. That's fascinating. When you go beneath the surface, though, uh, as you mentioned, all this is on the surface, you have thousands of people who lost loved ones in the city. Is there any sense of that trauma? And also, what is the sense of people in the city which will now maybe forever be known as the place where the coronavirus came from, as far as we know? Mm. Yeah, so that, that is like a multi-part question. Right? First is that that sort of trauma. And even back in April, when I spoke to, spoken to some counsellors about, you know, having gone through this uh, pretty much this ordeal, uh, how are people going to react to it? And at the time, she had said that she was key in setting up a hotline the moment the city went under lockdown. And they got thousands and thousands of calls uh, from people who weren't exactly sure uh, how how to deal with the situation they found themselves in. And she said that for many of these people, they do have some form of PTSD or the other. And really, most of the city do suffer from uh, some form or the other. But the problem is that this... Uh, mental health is something that is still rarely talked about in China. The mental health care system here isn't really as well established as uh, those in many other countries. And it's still pretty much a taboo topic. So when you ask people about that sort of trauma that they feel or the sort of scarring that this has left in, in them, uh, many don't want to talk about it or they say that basically this is this is something that has happened and whatever will just will just get on with it as, as you do. In a lot of uh, private conversations, I mean, the more, the more you probe, people still get a bit teary-eyed when they talk about that sort of fear, the sort of unknown that they were going through, especially in the early days of the lockdown, when you, when you weren't exactly sure how long this was going to go on for, what exactly was happening, whether or not um, you were going to have food next week, whether or not your supplies were going to last. So that, that sort of fear is something I think that... Um, People, when reminded of it, they do get slightly emotional. But then when it comes to how they view themselves as being this uh, city where 
the virus first emerged. They, there is an acceptance that, of course, the vi- uh, we don't know where the virus came from, but they do accept the fact that the outbreak that first started in Wuhan, this was the, the biggest outbreak and that led to spread worldwide, that is for sure. It, it does appear that some of them have bought into that whole uh, government narrative of this virus having been imported from somewhere else. And uh, one lady I spoke to, Madam Xie Shui Xiang, who is a butcher, she told me quite explicitly that, look, if we didn't host the military games in 2019, perhaps we wouldn't even have this outbreak today. And so they, that narrative has gained ground in Wuhan, uh, which is something that it, it is very interesting to observe. This, this coronavirus, we are told, emerged from that big wet market in Wuhan. And I know that China has banned wildlife and, and wet markets and so forth. What is going on now? That market presumably is empty. What's happening over there? I've been there on multiple trips now over the course of uh, this year. The first time, at a, uh, it was just plastic uh, cordons that had, that had been put up around the market. People were still going in and out. Shopholders were, were going to get their things and taking part in uh, what was then the investigation uh, they were getting tested and they were getting swapped. Uh, so that was in January. By by the time I gone back in April, they had now put up these thin metal barriers blocking people from going into the market. Into the market, and of course there were uh, there were police around, there was security to make sure that no one went near. By the time we went back this this time round, um, they put up more permanent walls actually, uh, which even have paintings on them to show how permanent this is going to be. And basically that market has not reopened ever since it was shut uh, in December last year. Uh, but curiously, the Spectacle Wholesale Centre that's on the second floor of this market has reopened and we did manage to go in and have a walk and have a chat with the people there uh, who said they were allowed to reopen in May. Uh, but that being said, even though uh, they were they were very friendly and they were happy to talk about how they've been affected, uh, clearly business is not the same as it used to be because of that association. Um, one thing still remained very sensitive, which, which was the outbreak and which was um, anything to do with the market. Because when we tried to take pictures of the wet market from a window um, on the second floor, immediately security pounced on us and, and, and started to try to kick us out of the place. So that was something that was still very touchy. And whenever you, you mentioned the outbreak, uh, a lot of these shop holders in this spectacle hosting center did get a little bit uncomfortable. You could see they didn't really want to talk about it or they were a bit worried of what they might say. Clearly, the government has clamped down on the sale of wildlife and um, they also banned the killing of live animals at this sort of markets. But it's pretty much back to normal because we did visit the biggest market in all of Hubei province, Bai Sha Zhou Market. And it is really just everything that you expect of a wholesale market. It was bustling, it was crowded, people were there buying uh, their produce, they were buying things. Of course, we saw a lot of, a lot of fish, a lot of um, meat hanging around, but what we did not see at the market were live terrestrial animals. So I suppose they are still complying with the government um, directive. So just to recap a bit, we saw China's so-called mask diplomacy, you know, sending aid to African and Latin American countries, for example. And now we have a very large effort to shape the narrative to show how successful China was in getting on top of this virus, uh, coronavirus. And just to put this in perspective, in the US, the Trump administration has poured blame on China and has even talked about getting China to pay for what it says the Communist Party unleashed upon the world and the United States. 
So President elect Joe Biden has been careful to say he is not all about punishing China. We should remember, of course, that in the US, we have almost 300,000 deaths so far. But at home in China, what is the perception among ordinary people generally as to how China handled this crisis? Hmm. Uh, well, clearly, the government has tried very hard to reshape the narrative uh, over the past months, where they now try to portray themselves as this champion who is coming out to help the world and look how we have everything under control. Um, and I would say that in my conversations with uh, regular Chinese people, they do, they, they, first they ask about, uh, they ask about Singapore and they ask, oh, how many cases are there, are there in Singapore now? And I say, whatever number, and, they, and they'll be like, oh, you see, isn't it much better in China? Look at how, look at how we've had zero new cases. And of course, that is that really is a perception because there might be zero new cases in Beijing, but there are still sporadic little pockets of outbreak uh, outbreaks across um, the country. Uh, so yeah, so this, that that is this perception, uh, perhaps that China really is doing very well and is necessary uh, in the world's fight against the coronavirus. But they also do believe uh, that. China and the U.S. have to work together because there is this perception that uh, the U.S. does have uh, a lot more scientific expertise and technology that would be complementary to that of China. And so while they are very proud of where the country has come thus far, they also do have a sense that international cooperation is necessary. It's interesting you mentioned the U.S. technology and expertise because one of the one of the complaints is that China has not uh, allowed international experts in lately into Wuhan. Of course, they did. They did have a team earlier. Uh, what is the situation on that? Have international experts been there lately? Well, so international experts have not lately come into into China, and even uh, when the, the WHO team and a international team was here earlier this year. They, they went to Wuhan, uh, if I remember correctly, in February. Um, the thing is that there was criticism that they did not have as much access as they would have liked, uh, which is unfettered access. And uh, by the time they had gotten into Wuhan and had gone to investigate at uh, the Huanan seafood market, a lot of the the samples had already been destroyed. Um, not in a way that sounds somewhat nefarious, but at the time it was uh, basically authorities that said that oh, in the in the effort to clean up the market, all these animals and 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 all the things had just simply been destroyed and and removed, and they had just cleaned up the entire place. So eventually, when they when they had to look for uh, virus traces. It was in the sewage system that that they managed to find this. Uh, so, of course, there are there are two sides to it. Some people say that this is because uh, China has been trying to cover up the entire situation. So, last quick one: uh, what what is it like traveling into and out of Wuhan nowadays? Do you get checked on departure on arrival? Is it free to travel? I mean, uh, basically, it is as, as free as you can get. It is just like going into any other Chinese city, uh, which is, of course, a stark contrast to earlier this year. Uh, when I went in April and came back to Beijing, it was difficult. It, uh, I had to take part. First, I had to get nuclear acid tested. Uh, and after getting a nuclear acid test, I now had to apply for a train ticket 
to be able to come back to Beijing. Uh, and it was basically part of a lottery system. You were stuck. We were stuck there for about three days, not knowing when I was going to get up. Uh, and when I got back to Beijing, I had to be quarantined in my flat for two weeks. Uh, and it was a very strict quarantine because they put a sensor on my door to make sure that I didn't um, even open my front door when I wasn't supposed to. Uh, so that was that was in April. But now, uh, clearly, travel has reopened throughout the country, and uh, I just hopped on a plane. Uh, went to Wuhan, and when I was done, I hopped on a train and I came back to Beijing, and that's it. So it's very, very different. It's really, uh, it's almost gone back to the way travel as we remember it. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you, Liz. Very, well, thank you very much, and take care of yourself out there. Well, you heard that it does seem that China offers a stark contrast to countries very badly hit like Brazil, India, the, and the United States. However, a lot does depend on China continuing to monitor and uh, and uh, control sporadic outbreaks around the country, and of course, maintain the ban on wildlife at wet markets. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.